Hey, this is Greener Grass, a podcast. We are your hosts, Carrie Wee and Kelly McVeigh, now part of the Digitant family of podcasts. How's it going, guys? I hope you are having an amazing week. Before we get started, um, check the show notes. Join the Greener Grass family. We will send you a newsletter and all the good stuff. Um, you'll get any breaking news that we might have. Today, we have Ivana Yang. She calls herself the accidental lobbyist on Instagram. She advocates for safer personal products, among other things. Um, such an interesting interview with Kelly. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this. Let's get started. Hello, Greener Grass listeners. I am excited to bring on today's guest. You know, I feel like I'm a huge relationship networking person in general, as you all know, and the time that I've spent um, in the job that I do every day, I've gotten to meet some incredible, amazing women and some men. Um, and Ivana is definitely that. I feel like the time that, that I really got to know her, I think we were in Minneapolis at a brewery. I think it was a brewery, but we were hosting an event um, and she flew out as well. And I got to hear her speak to our sales field and was just drawn to her, have watched her. I got to know her a little bit, tiny bit on a personal level that night too. And so, um, you know, as Carrie and I build out our, we're in season four, if you can believe it. But as we build out, I like to bring incredible people and kind of figure out why they do what they do. And I'm always intrigued by what you do every day. So I would love to welcome you and for you to share a little bit about yourself, whatever you want to share, where you grew up, where you're at now, um, just a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much, Kelly, first of all, for the opportunity to just talk with you today. I feel like it's been forever and um, definitely one of the joys of my time at Beauty Counter, our previous company, was all the great work colleagues that many of whom became friends like you. So I'm just really glad that we have the chance today to reconnect. And gosh, my journey, I I would say I'm someone that never expected to end up where I am now. You know, there's a saying that you can only make sense of life looking backwards. You can't really connect the dots looking forward. And that has been so true for me. So I grew up in the Midwest um, in a little town called Ames, Iowa. I went to school in the Midwest, and then I came out to D.C. for law school, actually. So I thought I was going to be a lawyer and uh, you know, took a couple of classes. My first year of law school, I realized that was definitely not for me. <laughs> uh, I love this, and I want to hear, I want mm -hmm. you to keep going, but I want to say two things. One, I love that your Instagram handle is accident accidental yeah. lobbyist and I feel like this story it, it makes sense of mm -hmm. that for sure um and I've never heard that quote I'm such a big quote girl mm -hmm. and I love that quote so I want you to say it one more time you can't connect the dots looking forward, forward but but you can connect the dots when you look backwards yeah I really think that's really the only way we can plan but then God laughs that's like another you know well-known quote. Totally. Yeah. Every, I think all of my, or most of the kind of five-year goals that I've set in my life, I haven't gotten to where I thought I would be, but typically it's somewhere even better or it's better for me. 
Okay. I love that. So going back, you're in your second year of law school. First year, actually. First semester first of law year. school. First yeah. Year. Okay. It was, okay. I, I mean, not to do my own horn, but I was always a very good student until law yes. school. Okay. <laughs> and law school kicked my butt, especially that first semester, that first year. And, you know, law school is full of super smart people. And it's just a ton of pressure. Everyone is, you know, the smartest in their class. And I just realized that environment was not for me. Um, luckily, I was in Washington, D.C. And, um, you know, the saying is you throw a stone in D.C. and you hit a lawyer. And there's just lots of different types of jobs that um, benefit from having a law degree in D.C., so my first job out of law school was in public policy and never expected to be a lobbyist. It was just a requirement of the job. I didn't even know who my state representatives were when I came out to DC, funny enough. Um, really had no interest in politics. So you did finish, so you did go ahead and finish law I school. Did. Yeah. Even though it, you felt like it wasn't really your niche or like the pressure, all the things, but you went ahead and finished. I did. Yeah. There are a lot of blood, sweat, and tears I finished law school. Yeah. Uh, just, um, I even took the bar exam. So I um, thought I just needed that to really complete my legal education, but I knew that I was not going to work at a law firm. Um, afterwards. Okay. And so then you stumble into, I mean, DC, mm -hmm. my brother's in DC. Mm -hmm. um, he works at the EPA, yeah. um, but he, he is hunkered down. He's hunkered down in DC. Okay. So you go into public policy yeah. and, and become a lobbyist. Yeah. It was uh, kind of a sink or swim situation. So I wanted to work on public policy, consumer rights issues, so I was at an organization called American Association for Justice, formerly known as the Trial Lawyers of America. So they were the um, trade association for plaintiff's attorneys. So you think of the lawyers that brought uh, class actions against big tobacco or um, you know, medical malpractice. They really represented the little guy. And it's, it's a very powerful um, trade association, very um, active lobbying. Uh, arm to that organization. And I really felt like I learned from the best there. Um, I had several mentors at that organization that took me under their wing and um, just kind of absorbed by watching them and how creative they were, how strategic they were. And I would say most of what I learned about um, government affairs and lobbying came from that organization. So when you think about, and listen, some of this, but I feel like I'm probably could be an average listener. I feel like sometimes when you hear just about lobbying, you can hear the, you can hear good and mm -hmm. bad. You can hear bad too, yeah. that, oh, they're just like being pushed into this direction because of that. I do think or we both had um, the ability to work for a company that that was important. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I got a little teeny tiny taste of that because we took a trip to DC and we got to meet with some of our representatives and share some of the, our stories and the things that we were working yeah. for. What is your overall, because, because there can be a negative connotation mm -hmm. to lobbying, 
what can you say about just stepping into that arena? And second part question, the first day that you went to do that, were you scared? <laughs> I'll send the second part first. I was scared. But also, I was ready to start working. I would say I was ready to not take any more tests, not have to do homework at night. So, yeah. um, although I think everyone's first job, you kind of feel like you want to do more. Um, yeah. I thought there has to be more. Like, you know, I want to lead the big campaigns. I want to lead the projects. But of course, I wasn't ready. And right. You know, you have to learn the the foundations before you can yourself um, be the one that is leading um, whatever yeah. project you're working on. So I love that you were kind of like ready to take mm -hmm. it on. And I guess because you were in such a high pressure cook zone arena of law school, this probably felt like you, I would say you felt prepared and like ready to just fly, go into it. And it was kind of a little tiny detour from law school. So it probably felt like the right space for you. Yeah, I would say this job really made me feel like I was actually in D.C. You know, in law school, I interned at a few places that had some type of political connection. But this truly was like when you think of D.C., you think of um politics and every other person works in the government or in Congress or federal agencies like your brother. Um, this is the first time I felt like I was part of the mix um, here in DC. I love that. Okay. Then my first part to the original question, how do you feel? Because there is that, you know, people that I think don't understand mm -hmm. or aren't a part of that world. Um, what can you say about just lobbying in general and and what you think and the importance and yeah. all the things. I think lobbyists definitely get a bad rep. Um, popular media also like shows like House of Cards really villainize lobbyists. But really, I think every issue has two sides. Like every single issue yes. has two sides. And there are lobbyists arguing for both sides of these issues. Um, Democrats, Republicans, I really learned that um, the media makes it out to be a very polarized environment here in DC, both in Congress and outside of it. But at the end of the day, people are just people. They want what's best for their families, their friends, um, themselves. And no one, well, maybe actually 99% of people believe in what they're advocating for, whether they're doing it for a big corporation or for a nonprofit, for a trade association. And um, it's just taught me that it, you have to kind of understand an issue before you're ready to take a stance on it. Right. Um, I love that answer. I do love that answer, especially in today's world, because everybody that knows me, I'm very like rainbows and unicorns mm -hmm. and all the things, but, and again, 99% of people, <laughs> I think that the majority of people wake up in the morning and, and want to do what they believe is the right thing yeah. for their family, their community, the world, the U S mm -hmm. whatever. Um, do you feel like as a lobbyist, because you've gotten to spend so much time there, 
and I don't know how to say this answer because a lot of things that you're probably lobbying for might lean away, but it's really when you're lobbying for something, it's not about a Democrat or a Republican. It's literally about the subject matter. Do you feel like that when you're lobbying for things or does it depend on the topic? I would say I've been fortunate enough to lobby for issues that uh, have had broad bipartisan support. So, you know, at Beauty Counter Cosmetic Reform, we always say everyone uses personal care products. doesn't matter what your political Absolutely. affiliation is, what your gender is. You're going to use it, and why not use cleaner products at the end of the day? Um, at my current company, I lobby for the materials transition. So that means... Um, my company makes the ingredients that go into like everything, apparel, electronics, um, any type of consumer good you can think of out of plants rather than from petroleum. And as of, we've all seen this past summer, especially all these horrible um, natural disasters around the world um, in Hawaii, um, climate change is real. So we have to start thinking about how the solutions are, and the tools that we're going to use to combat climate change so future generations can still have a livable planet. And I feel like this issue also has pretty wide bipartisan support. Um, so maybe it's just what I've, the issues that I've been attracted to and have lobbied on behalf of, but I do think there's a lot of common ground, excuse me, for most, most um, issues out there. Okay, I love that. Do you feel like, and then I do want to go back because I want to mm -hmm. get back from your first lobbying job to how you came to be at Beauty Counter and then transitioning to where you're at yeah. now. But do you feel like, I've always heard that politics and government can be super slow. I, slow. I feel like I think I probably learned that from you and from Lindsay Dahl, who we got to work mm -hmm. with, that it is a slow progress. It's like a slow moving thing. Yeah. Do you feel like, though, you have gotten to, because being there in D.C. watching it happen, do you feel like you are someone that gets to make real change and gets to watch that regardless of the timeline yeah. and like maybe how long it takes? you're in there. Do you get to feel like, cause I'm always someone that like, I always said like, I'm going to change the mm -hmm. world. Like, I don't know that I've ever done that, but do you feel like you get to see ch real change happening? I can compare it to voting where, you know, maybe, well, sometimes one vote does sway an election these days. The margins are so small, but without your vote, you know, the tipping point might not be reached. So for me, I don't think, you know, I'm the person that made the difference that caused the passage of the Modernizing Cosmetics Act, which is the bill that we had lobbied at Beauty Counter for 10 years before it finally passed um, last year, I believe. But I contributed to it, and I can feel good about that at the end of the day. So it always gets back, gets back to, if no one does it, then nothing happens. If you do it, um, I would say you're probably not the person that caused the bill to pass, there's you know thousands of people, um, advocates, people on the Hill, um, consumers that push for whatever legislation to pass. But you certainly feel a sense of pride when it does happen. I, I love that. I too like felt like a little moment of like, oh, all of us mm -hmm. collectively made change happen, yeah. whether it was 10 years or however long. 
there's something to be said about that and to feel really, really great. Why do you think things do take so long? That's the nature of politics. Um, in some ways, I think it is good because fast change are usually not well considered. Yeah. So no, this too impulsive. There's not like major decision in, and I think collectively you need everyone on board for the change to yeah. successfully happen and move forward. Yeah, you don't want just one group's agenda to be um, the law of the lands for everyone. You want people to poke yeah. holes at it, to question it, to amend it, to make it better. So all those things take time. Um, and also there's always a million different uh, issues facing legislators at any given time. So, and they can't right. you know, work on everything happening under the sun all at once. So that means they have to prioritize. Absolutely. Okay, so you start lobbying um, and you're kind of flying and soaring, and I guess, in the sense that you were ready to do it. How, how did you shift from being in DC and making that transition? Or is there anything else you want to share about your first lobbying job before you transitioned? I'd say I was there uh, for about four years and I... I knew there was something more. I have always been passionate about the beauty business, personal care products. I wanted to be a beauty editor growing up. That was my dream job back in the day. I and love then, this. Of course, I went to college and the whole print industry um, tanked. So <laughs> went to law school instead. But I had um, probably just around the time that I started my first job, started to get into clean beauty as well. And I heard about this company called Beauty Counter. I started to follow everything that they did. Um, really, it really felt authentic to me in a way that um, yeah. um, not a lot of consumer brands, I think, have that authenticity um, attached to them, that it's not just marketing. And I saw that they had an advocacy uh, arm, that that was one of the founding missions for the company. And so I just started reaching out to um, the woman at the time that was leading the impact team. And then um, my former boss and mentor, Lindsay Dahl. Uh, and it was, I think, four or five years that I would email her, you know, articles that I'd see every couple of months. And uh, summer of 2017, uh, it was a very... A very interesting time in DC after the 2016 elections. I had been in the city for um, you know, seven or eight years at that point, I was ready to make a change and kind of flew out to a bunch of places that summer. I went to New York, I went to San Francisco, went to LA and just told all my friends, connect me with anyone that you know, I want to take meetings with anyone. And I reached out to Elonzi when I was in LA just to grab coffee. And it just happened that there was an opening on her team. It was not advertised. Um, and she, uh, we started talking. I think she saw my passion for the beauty industry and I had the right background. And, and there I was. So I moved out to LA about two months after that. Okay, I love this in a sense too. I mean, that feels so like, driven it was genuine and authentic and you were genuinely building a relationship but I also feel like 
the fact that you built that relationship over time and we're sending her things that you were seeing. Like, I love that. That's how this happened. That's amazing. Yeah. I really just something inside of me just knew that I had to be part of um, this company and part of their mission. It really combines my skill set with what I was passionate about. Okay, that's amazing. I that I always get a million ideas. This will be one that I listen. Occasionally I say this is one I'm going to listen to over again. That makes me feel like my own life like just making my wheels turn. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. So you moved to LA, to LA. from DC. Yeah. What a culture Huge, shock. Huge <laughs> um, culture shock and I feel like even the fact that you started in the Midwest, then you go to DC, then you're all the way to LA. Um just a total different world very different um you know LA what can I say about LA it's beautiful every day (laughs) especially you know where the office is Santa Monica it's just what you think of when you think of stereotypically beautiful Los Angeles by the beach every day is a sunny day every day is a perfect 75 degree day and I was out there for three plus years and if I didn't like the job so much, I I would have left. I don't know. Something in me just um, loved visiting Los Angeles, but living there was not my cup of tea. <laughs> Listen, I think you and I had this conversation yeah. because you, when I got to know mm-hmm. you, you were like, I love what I do. I love working with Lindsay. Yeah. I love the job. Um, but you were just like, you were like this, I don't know, this is my forever space. Mm-hmm. Do you did you feel like it was hard to do your job and connect when you were in LA when when all of the the ins and outs go in DC? I know your department, you guys did so much. I mean, I think you guys were big educators to the field mm-hmm. and to what we were doing. You helped um grassroots, I think, a little bit with our field yeah. and how they they were working. So I know that there were lots of things that you could do, but did you feel a little disconnected from the world that you had been in for the last four years? It's an interesting question. Yes and no. I would say I would go out to DC every other month or so, spend about a week out there um, and do lots of meetings in person. There is still something to be said about meeting in person versus um, Zoom. But I did feel when I was in Los Angeles, people just didn't care about politics, really. (laughs) So it was when I was in LA, um, just felt like I was in a little bubble. Certainly people at our company cared about it, but just all around us, it was not that, um, uh, politics was not the driving industry in that town. Yes. but I would say the job too, um, the reason I loved it so much is that it was not a typical government affairs role. There was a lot of um, communications elements to it, communicating with the field, with um, consumers, via social media. So there was a lot of creativity to that position that I really enjoyed. It wasn't just loving. It's day. so interesting because I'm sure for both of us, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had been in the mod- the model of network marketing or direct selling for so mm-hmm. long, but there were so many great things that I learned that just had a different aspect. And it probably is partially the av- advocacy or the mission mm-hmm. or the 
the creative piece element of that. Um, so I love that you kind of had that ability to probably grow in different ways than you would have if you had just stayed in DC. That's a great point. And that's probably the reason why I stayed at Beauty Counter for um, as long as I did was um, the growth opportunities. So you are now, I, I do have to say, and listen, I said we could edit things out. When I got to know you and got to talk and you were like, I don't know if LA is my space forever. Yeah. You also were like, how am I going to meet someone? <laughs> like I meet someone in LA when I know I, this is not like my forever yeah. home. And now you are like happily um, partnered up and which I love. How did the transition happen from LA to um I think back to DC. Did you go straight from LA back to DC? No. So the pandemic really gave me the opening and the opportunity to move back yes. to the East Coast. But I, you know, I lived alone in Los Angeles. The pandemic happened. Everything shut down. So I was living in my one bedroom apartment in Santa Monica alone for about two months. And by the end of that, I was going just stir crazy. So I went back to St. Louis yes. where my family was. Uh, for about six months. Um, and in the middle of that, I decided I was leaving Los Angeles, going back, packed up all my things, and literally left with two suitcases from LA back to um, St. Louis, and then decided that I was going to go back to DC. And, you know, everyone had kind of transitioned to working remotely. That was now a possibility. It wasn't previously. And so I was in... DC starting from January, 2021. Um, and so when you first went back to DC, you were still, because we were all working remotely, yeah. you were still at Beauty County? I was, you know, you I misspoke. I left December, 2021. So I was there okay. for a full, full year. <laughs> I'm getting my timeline right. Uh, one more full yeah. year. We're not going to fact check it, so I think you're cool regardless. But okay, so you end up back in DC. Did you feel, regardless alone, all the things? Did you feel like this is where I'm supposed to be? Yeah, I did. Um, just that feeling. You know, most of my friends were still in DC. Um, I did, <laughs> funny enough, meet someone right after I moved back here. Um, not with them anymore, but it was like I knew. As soon as I would move back to the East Coast, there would be someone. This, yeah, I don't know, LA guys vibe, not for me, <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. I love though too. Like I think, um, like exactly what you're saying. Like LA wasn't wasn't ever mm -hmm. you. Like you took what you gained from it, you learned from the experience, but like that wasn't going to be your landing space and the LA guys probably weren't <laughs> going to be your landing space either. <laughs> so how did you transition? Like what, how did you know it was time for you to transition again from beauty counter because you did love the job, yeah. um, move into something different? That's interesting. Another beauty counter connection. So former colleague there, um, left the company and went to um, another company called Gino that is really leading the transition from fossil phase, fossil fuels based chemicals to more sustainable plant-based chemicals. And that company has been around for um, more than two decades. 
but they were realizing that they needed to build up a government affairs arm to make an impact in D.C. and to go after some of this funding that the Biden administration was releasing um, on biotechnology, biomanufacturing. So yeah. former colleague um, called me up and asked me if I was interested. I think at that time, um, I was ready. I was ready to transition to a bit of a different role. And um, it's been it's been really fulfilling and interesting year and a half, almost two years now. It's amazing. So how do you think, I know this isn't part of your job anymore, and I could be wrong, I guess, but, you know, at Beauty Counter, when we were both there, a big part of what we did was educating how do we make the world know more about things like what you're talking about moving from, because I don't know that that's something that a lot of people know, and maybe that's my own, maybe that's on me that I'm not educated in that space, but I don't feel like those are the things that hit the media and that we're talking mm -hmm. about every single day. I don't expect consumers to really know about this. I mean, why should they? You know, we all have very busy lives. Um, I really think it is the job of brands to help educate consumers and not in a hit you over the head, a very um, uh, gloom and doom type of a way, but just to show that there are alternatives, just like we did at Beauty Counter. There are alternatives. I feel like I learn so much on every single one of these podcasts. Do you, is there anything that you want to share with someone out there listening um, about sustainability or about lobbying, about just the world that you're within that you feel like would be beneficial that they leave today? And it's like something that, that would matter to the consumer, because I love that you even said you don't expect you know, sometimes I feel like oh, I need to do better. Mm -hmm. Like I should go and read an article about, you know, but I love that you even said that, like, I don't expect that from people, but is there anything that you do feel like as a consumer or a voter or, you know, a citizen that wants to be better that you think um, would be a great takeaway today? I would say follow your curiosity. For me, following my curiosity about safer personal care products led me to a job that I loved and um, doing work that was really fulfilling to me. And just even today, I was listening to a podcast about a safer type of cleaner. And then I went on their um, social media and they had tons of like different facts about like DIY things you can do and about why switching to safer you know, household cleaners are important. So there's just so yeah. much information out there and if you just um, follow what you're thinking about or curious about, there's going to be a ton of information out there. And that might lead to a new idea, maybe a new career path. Um, but at the very least, um, you'll learn something new. Yeah. I love this. I loved this whole thing. Be curious. That's always going to lead you. And the world is full of every article Anything that you want to learn mm -hmm. about or know more about, we have at our fingertips. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I love follow your curiosity. So I loved this time that you, we've spent together. Um, I appreciate you so much. I feel like next time I come to DC, just to even visit my brother, I'm going to ring you up for coffee because I would Please love do. to in person. Um, and I love that we all um, spent time together at Beauty Counter. We were talking about this before we started, but we really got to, I feel like grow, um, grow in lots of different ways. And we did get to make um, a little bit of change. Yeah. So thank you so much, Kelly, for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining Greener Grass today. Ivana, the work that you do is so intriguing and so important. Thank you so much for carving out the time uh, to be on Greener Grass. We appreciate you. And uh, so interesting for me to hear that interview. Um, and my friends, if you would like to join the Greener Grass family, please check the show notes. Um, we want to we wanna grow this tribe. So please be a part of it. Share it with your friends. If you know of anyone or yourself who you think would be a really great guest, please reach out. You can always DM us at Grand Rev Creative. That's our IG. And um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Any comments, questions you might have. And uh, if you'd please honor us with a five-star rating and a review. It means so much to us. We appreciate you guys so much. Um, yeah, and we'll keep coming back at you with, with uh, everything we've got. Um, we are with Digitum Podcasts. Check out any of those podcasts, health and wellness um, group. So many great resources there. And then also, if you'd like to check out the Expecting Aerialist, which is my solo podcast, deals with motherhood, postpartum, prenatal, all of that. So anyways, have a great week. We appreciate you. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. This is Green Grass.